welcome to the Frontline Gastroenterology Podcast. My name is Dr. Philip Smith, Associate Editor and Social Media Editor of Frontline Gastroenterology and Consultant Gastroenterologist at the Royal Liverpool Hospital, Liverpool United Kingdom. And I'm delighted to be accompanied today by Professor Mark Beattie, Editor-in-Chief of Frontline Gastroenterology and Professor of Paediatric Gastroenterology at Southampton's Children's Hospital in Southampton, United Kingdom as well as Dr. James Morris, Associate Editor and former trainee editor of Frontline Gastroenterology and Senior Hepatology Fellow at King's College Hospital London. Today, our podcast is gonna be slightly different from usual and we're gonna discuss what we feel are the best papers published in Frontline Gastroenterology in 2020. It's not an easy choice and I think we've all deliberated a bit over this um, given the great papers that have been submitted this year. So to start off with, Professor Beattie, as Editor-in-Chief, could you briefly give an overview of the number of submissions, the number of papers accepted this year, and the successes of FG in 2020, despite obviously being such a challenging year? And then can I ask for you to kick things off for us and tell us what your top five, six papers of 2020 are in no particular order? Thanks, Phil, and it's a real pleasure to be on this podcast. So 2020 has been a difficult year for everyone, with lots of challenges and considerable uncertainty. Actually, it's been a good year for frontline gastroenterology, which I hope has played a part in trying to move on the knowledge, experience and the science at least a bit. We've had six editions. Our submissions are right up with 293 year to date for 2020, having had 184 in 2019. Our acceptances are broadly similar. We've accepted a few more articles. And so that reflects quality coming through and um, good articles, which hopefully are going to impact on our readers' practice. I'm pleased that we've kept up with submission times, decision times, processing times, and production time. And a lot of that's down to the authors, reviewers, the excellent editorial team, and the BMJ Journals Group. And really for the readers who've continued to motivate us by positive feedback. So thinking about top papers, it's always quite hard. So I mean, really, we want papers that are either downloaded well, get going in the social media, that's the alt metric, or will eventually generate citations to improve our impact factor. And really, good articles are a combination of those. But actually, as an editor, you can also be influenced a bit by your own priorities. And I'm a paediatric gastroenterologist, so I love looking at um, evidence that relates to my own practice, but I really enjoy thinking about how evidence may impact on the practice of my adult colleagues. So, I mean, I'm always looking for a good title and important topic that's well-written, that's evidenced. And so I've thought through the content for the last year, and wanted to just highlight some of those papers. And what I've done is I've chosen one paper from each edition. I'll just say a little word or two about why. So from January 2020 was medical liver biopsy, background, indications, procedure, and histopathology. So this was really interesting. So why did I like that paper? I liked it because it was popular, because it was a top download for week after week after week. It's really interesting, and it's interesting then about what people want to read, because it talked about the indications for liver biopsy, the procedure itself, 
the complications and what happens to the biopsy once it goes off for processing. It was commissioned after a discussion and it had four top quality external reviews and actually I made the editor's choice in January 2020 because I thought it was a really good article. March 2020, well, irritable bowel syndrome, something we're all seeing lots of, seeing more of, and has got lots of functionality in it. And so the second article is Rational Investigations in Irritable Bowel Syndrome, and that was Alex Ford's group. And just so important to get this right, and I thought the article put things together very neatly. Important not to over-investigate, but equally important not to under-investigate. And certainly that's been well received by the readership. We're in an interesting era, aren't we, where we want to try and make our practice better. We've got to have something to benchmark it by. And I was very pleased that um, Frontline Gastroenterology had this next one submitted, and it's the Consensus Standards of Healthcare for Adults and Children with Inflammatory Bowel Disease in the UK. I mean, this is, a lot of this is down to Crohn's and Colitis UK and the hard work they've done over many years in partnership with other charity organisations. But it's about doctors, allied hair professionals, patients, families and charities saying, well, look, what are we trying to achieve when we manage inflammatory bowel disease? How can we measure that? And so how can we work out how we can do it better? And if we measure it, and work out what we're going to try and achieve next, we might better resource it. So that was from May 2020. Then in July 2020, we published the British Society of Gastroenterology-led multi-society consensus care bundle for the early clinical management of acute upper gastrointestinal bleeding. Well, in some respects, it's straightforward what this article tells you. But actually, this is a common problem a problem which requires the right staffing in the right place at the right time, who've received the right training to do the right thing. And this gives you a care bundle which you can look at, adapt to your own practice, implement and audit. And I, I, I thought that was excellent. And it's certainly been a very attractive paper in terms of downloads, the altmetric, and it's already being cited. September, um, and bear in mind, by September, we're getting lots of COVID submissions. Um, we published two articles, and I'm going to count these as one, Phil. I apologise for that, but it's part one and part two, so it's two articles on adult liver transplantation. And as a paediatric gastroenterologist, we often manage, shared care manage, patients who've had a liver or intestinal transplant. And one of the things is... So what exactly are you supposed to do if you have specific issues? And is there any consensus? And is there any detailed guidance that can help you? And I think these two articles really fulfill that. And actually within weeks of their appearing online, they were in our top downloaded papers and they're still there. And that's because this is really helpful for people to read, people who manage in partnership with transplant centres, this really important and vulnerable patient group. November 2020, that's my um, final paper that I'm going to mention, was, I mean, this was an interesting one because I was inspired to commission this, sat in a lecture, listening to the content, 
with a senior adult gastroenterologist sat beside me saying, wow, that was really interesting. And that's diagnostic colonoscopy, getting the basics right. It's a really well-written paper. And in some respects, it does nothing special, but actually what it does that's really high impact is it goes through how you do a colonoscopy, how to get the basics right, and therefore how to do the procedure better, safer, with better diagnostic yield, and a better outcome therefore for the patient. So I've highlighted six, counting one as two, but they're my lot. It's really quite uh, interesting because uh, I have a feeling there's going to be a bit of a lap with some of the choices that I've got. And I've also done the same thing and lumped together um, the, um, the transplantation paper. But uh, before I go into my choices, um, uh, James, do you want to give your, your thoughts and opinions? I'd love to, Phil, and uh, thanks for inviting me onto the podcast. Um, and, and as with you, I think I have some, you know, some significant overlap um, uh, with Prof Beattie. And I just wanted to highlight really three of those um, that he's mentioned that uh, with a bit of a hepatology bias, given my background. Um, but I echo his thoughts on the liver biopsy paper from the beginning of the year. I thought that was fantastic. And um, I've always had a big soft spot for histopathology. I think there's something sort of fundamental about it. You know, you're looking at a disease happening in front of you. And there's that sense of which there's a practice here with all the modern technology and medicine that we have that almost hasn't changed in 50 years. And there's something I quite like about that. There's also something I feel a bit disempowered. I'm in a histopathology meeting and I'm too embarrassed to say, you know, hang on, I don't actually know what a portal tract looks like or where it is in the slide. And what I loved about this paper was that it gave us the basics of uh, histo um, histology. Uh, you know, where's a portal tract? Where's the central vein? What to look at? And then it gave some excellent images, well annotated, on the common conditions and what you might see. Um, with a glossary of terms, I think that was on, on the third table or something in the paper. So suddenly, in a, in a short paper, you had the tools to go to a histology meeting and actually understand what you were hearing. And for me, that, that uh, is what a frontline paper should all be, all be about. It's, it's being able to take something which the next day you could go to work and just improve your standard day-to-day -day practice and in, improve uh, your understanding and enjoyment of what you're doing. So I love that paper. Um, the other one was the transplant guidelines. Um, you know, I think transplant medicine is, is fantastic, interesting, but daunting. And I think many of us will share that deep sense of anxiety when a transplant patient comes in on the take or on our general gastro ward and just not quite knowing what to do with them. And there's that sense of sort of magical aura about them. You know, the very basics of managing a chest infection suddenly seems like a big sort of Mount Everest in front of you. And this paper was great because it took the aspects that we need to know as a generalist and decoded them really well. And that goes from who to refer and the timing. Um, and it made that quite country specific for us. So it's quite a heavy, you know, focus on the UK context. But for example, there was a table on who to phone up uh, in each centre if you want to refer a patient, what investigations to include in that referral letter. This sort of basic stuff, which will really assist clinicians in how to refer their patients and get them assessed in a timely way. And then in the follow-up of the patients, 
um, looking at immunosuppression regimes, explaining what the drugs are, because most people reading it won't be prescribing these drugs, but they will be dealing with some of the complications and, and it deals with how to look out for complications and manage them and some of the drug to drug interactions, which was very useful. So I, I thought they were two excellent papers from, from Charlie Milson and, and colleagues from across uh, the UK transplant community. And then finally, um, again, what Prof Eaties mentioned was the rational investigations in IBS. Um, I, I thought that was a terrific paper from the title right down to the end. I just think the title encapsulated it very well because IBS is something that is so often difficult to manage. And I think the diagnosis raises both practical and almost philosophical questions about how we reach a diagnosis and how we therapeutically treat a patient with investigations. And I think debunking that myth that ordering lots of tests is helpful for a patient and alleviates anxiety is incredibly useful while equipping the clinician with uh, the right tests to do at the right time uh, to reach our diagnosis. So I thought that was a great paper. So they're my three. Great summary, uh, James and Prof, and, uh, and thanks very much for that. I was hoping in many respects, being on, on a podcast with a hepatologist and a pediatrician, we might get things a bit spicy and, and disagree a lot, <laughs> but, but uh, it's sounding like we're, we're going to be agreeing a little bit here. But um, I do want to mention, just because it occurred to me just before we started this podcast, about papers that I've just missed out. And um, a paper that really stood out for me, because I, I was lucky enough to do the podcast with the, uh, the lead author in it, Mohit Khan, was the, um, the NETS paper, the um, What Gastroenterologists need to know about neuroendocrine tumors. That is also a superb paper, but um, isn't currently in, in the running for top space, although you, many people might argue, given there's you know, a, a lack of confidence, I don't know whether that's the right phrase in the medical field about what to do with these patients. Um, I think it's almost a shame that, that that might not appear in as high up. So what was it you liked about that paper, Phil? Well, I, to be honest, uh, I think it's, it's literally for someone like me as a luminal gastroenterologist takes you through the real basics. And this, is, this seems to be a theme of what's been said so far in this podcast. It's about getting the basics right from knowing the epidemiology, what initial investigations, management, how to manage the patient, you know, prognosis. It's all in that paper. And it's a brilliant summary of that. And, I, and I'd like to say, um, uh, Dr. Khan's uh, podcast, where he goes through this in quite some detail, is equally a brilliant explanation. And I know I'm, I've learned a lot from that. So, Phil, what I would say, which is, I mean, it's interesting because it's an outstanding paper and um, I was excited by it and excited by the podcast. Um, of course, it's online, but it's not in print yet. So the... Uh, you know, you, you can plug for this paper for the 21, 2021 <laughs> publication. You know, this is one of the things we've had. And, and I think on the same vein, I want to mention a paper that's still in our top altmetrics, still in our top downloads, which is the management of chronic pancreatitis, which is an outstanding article. But we published that in 2019. So it's not eligible either. Yeah. So you one that's not eligible and I've got one that's not eligible. Um, probably not fair to ask James if he's got one that's not eligible yet but I 
I stick very closely by the rules, Prof, so I couldn't possibly. <laughs> well, you know, I am one for breaking the rules. So, um, so to stick to the rules, just a brief uh, summary. I mean, I've got to say a, a huge special mention to um, Alex Ford and Chris Black. You know, their paper on rational investigations and IBS. I think IBS can be uh, a real challenge in luminal gastroenterology outpatient clinics. And that really is a tour de force and explaining the, uh, you know, how you should rationalize and manage these patients in a, um, a very clear way, concise way. Um, I think that's really important. And a special mention because it's been what a year for those guys. I mean, they've published, it felt like they were publishing Gut or, you know, all these other journals, um, you know, every week at one point. So real kudos for Frontline Gastroenterology to have that paper. Just on that paper, and from a trainee's perspective, it was particularly helpful because these are patients that often are the ones that are seen by the registrar. And I think that is an aspect of care that then can perpetuate the cycle of repeated investigations. So for me, that paper, again, was a helpful critique and reminder to not slip into that uh, when, as a trainee, you might see a patient who's had these tests before. Uh, but just yeah. as an aside. Yeah. But just to, to run through, I um, completely agree with what you both have said about the um, consensus standards for IBD, the GI bleed bundle, amazing work, great collaborations with those, really important pieces of work, can't argue with that. I must say as a luminal gastroenterologist that um, during his training did quite a lot of transplant medicine, the liver transplantation papers, which also I have grouped together as one paper prof, um, are brilliant. I mean, from the, I mean, I'm a, a picture person, so the, the diagrams, the figures in that are just superb. Even from, um, the, you know, there's a diagram in the, the, the second part, the part two, um, where it talks about which, which um, uh, part of the anatomy gets anastomosed in what order um, during an operation. I've done liver transplant jobs. I didn't know that. That was great information and, and gives you a real kind of detail. And, um, you know, it's really interesting to read. In the same way, um, James, I think you mentioned it, looking at histopathology slides and thinking there's an awful lot of red or blue, usually blue. Um, <laughs> um, and I was always taught blue is bad at, at medical school in Nottingham by an ex-BSG president, Professor Hawkey. Um, I'm thinking, what does that all actually mean? And listening to every word a histopathologist said. So that's a, a great paper talking through the basics. But I must say, without doubt, in my mind, the, you know, the ileocolonoscopy paper is, is just superb. Um, I mean, talk about trying to, to, to nail it down, get in the basic rights. I love, I love the, again, the figure where uh, in that paper where it shows out w w what direction to twerk in to, to get out of an alpha loop and, you know, reverse alpha loop and, you know, um, an end loop and all sorts of different things like that. Amazing. So helpful. And uh, for, the, for the registrars, but also for the consultants, when you get stuck, uh, I just think it's a brilliant paper. And um, I think the, the, the degree of, of talk about that paper online says, says an awful lot, really. I'd echo that, Phil. Yeah, when I saw that paper, it was like a breath of fresh air. Um, you know, I'm a hepatologist, but I'm still training in, in endoscopy and colonoscopy. 
and I've and I've been to some of the endoscopy conferences, which are excellent. I think I tweeted when this paper came out about um, you know catwalk endoscopy not being everything, and I think I stand by that. In that, you know, for again for most of us, we we just want to deliver day to day tests well, and and I think the UK has got a lot to be proud of with JAG and everything of making practice uniform and maintaining a very high standard of care whichever hospital you go into um, but there's still room for improvements and I think just doing a colonoscopy which is a difficult procedure excellently every time um, it's not straightforward and of course you, you can't learn that just by reading but I think having tips and uh, and some tools uh, to go into that with um, I found enormously helpful and, and will help shape my practice. You know as far as I know our top 2020 tweet was the tweet which included the picture of the loops from the diagnostic ilia colonoscopy paper and um, so that, that was the first time I tweeted a picture into a tweet and was amazed by the massive response it got and has continued to get so you know I think that's because people thought it was interesting otherwise they wouldn't have retweeted it. I completely agree and I think it's going to have to progress things on with the podcast, but um, it's really interesting how there's so much overlap in, in some of our choices. So before we ask Professor BT for you to give a final list of the top papers of 2020 and choose a winner, can I ask James um, and I to see if we could persuade you by telling you our order and then see if we can uh, win out who is the most persuasive of the two of us. So James, do you want to go first? Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, we've all chosen very similar papers. Um, I, I think I might be a bit self-controversial, and it might be con not controversial for the group, but for myself as a hepatologist, I think for my number one, I will have to put that rational investigations paper. Um, because I think in terms of disease burden um, and the recurring theme that gastroenterologists find IBS difficult to manage, um, this uh, was second to none in addressing uh, a big problem. And so I can't commend them highly enough. And although I'm a hepatologist primarily, as I complete my training and as I still do some general gastro clinics, I will be reaching for that paper um, because I'll be seeing these patients. And, I, and um, yeah, I, I think that number one for me, and I think the transplant guidelines number two just the scale and breadth of them it, it's a big piece of work and to get a complex specialist issue pitched right for the general gastroenterologist and uh, giving us the tools to manage those patients in a timely and coordinated way um, was no small undertaking I think that's a huge piece of work so I'd, I'd put that number two of mine. So um, it's difficult because I actually agree with what uh, pretty much what you've just said um, but uh, I have spent quite a bit of time um, stewing over this. I think for me it, was, it is between the rational uh, IBS um, paper by uh, Alex Ford um, and also the um, diagnostic aliocolonoscopy uh, papers. I've kind of swung a bit back and forth on it and um, I think for me the first place probably now um, is probably the, the um, Diagnostic Aleocolonoscopy paper. And the reason I say that is just that, exactly what you said before, James, is that getting the basics right um, 
uh, it's such an important part of our job. You know, just doing a, a, a basic colonoscopy right each time, I think is quite an achievement, not just for the, um, for the clinician, um, for, for, for the patient, the patient experience. So I think that, that paper is so fundamental to that and so helpful. I think that's got to be first place for me. Although it's very close because number two is the, the rational investigations in IBS. Um, and, I, and I must say, I've switched up my position on that twice. Special mention though, I mean, the liver transplantation papers, brilliant. I mean, I, I can't commend those papers enough. And um, clearly the, the consensus and the GI bleeding um, papers, I put those in fourth and fifth place respectively um, for me. And um, yeah, I'd also actually, I've just seen my notes here, I'd actually put the liver biopsy paper in joint second place. Uh, I'm sorry I missed it out um, before. Yeah, I'd put the liver biopsy just because it fills so many gaps that I, I didn't know as a luminal gastroenterology, uh, gastroenterologist. I think that, that paper probably comes in joint second. But um, probably the moment everybody's been waiting for, especially possibly the, the, um, the authors of the papers, um, Prof, do you want to want to give us the countdown? I, I think the countdown's going to be a diplomatic countdown. I mean, I've got to be honest with you. I'd thank them all first if I had the option to, and that's a cop out. Um, and and I think that's because they all have different reasons why they were very successful, and it all reflects on the journal's overall mission, which is to publish research that impacts on practice. So. I think lots of special mentions to consensus papers, care bundles, transplantation guidelines, and liver biopsy. I think, however, I'm a good listener, and I take into account what everyone says. And, and I do, I think we've got to give a joint first to rational investigation of irritable bowel syndrome, because so many people have told me that's an excellent paper. And I mean, that's got to be a success for us if so many people think it's an excellent paper. And similarly, the impact of publishing that diagnostic and ileocolonoscopy paper, and really the bit in it which I like the most as a clinician, the getting the basic right, makes that, in my opinion, a joint winner. So I think joint winners are diagnostic ileocolonoscopy, getting the basic right, and rational investigation of irritable bowel syndrome, I've been influenced by what you guys have said and what the readers have said in making those choices. But I think all the rest of the papers fit into second stroke, highly commended stroke, excellent papers, stroke ones that we are privileged to have had submitted to us and been able to publish. Yeah, yeah. And I think James, um, I think you'll agree with that, won't you? Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, um, well, thank you, Prof. Uh, and thanks, James. Um, I'm sure the, the authors will be delighted. I'm sure many listeners uh, will, um, will, will agree. Um, we're going to have to wrap up fairly soon. Um, but before we do that, Prof, could you give our listeners any further tips about what makes a great frontline gastroenterology paper to, to, to encourage others from the UK, but also around the globe to submit to frontline gastroenterology? So, I mean, there are a few things. I mentioned some of them before, which is, that you want to be clear what your message is. It needs to be well-written and it's got to impact on practice. So I would say, firstly, a true story. So make sure it's methodologically sound and not over-interpreted. 
make sure the abstract's really clear, set the scene with a good introduction, and display the results. Not a few of the results, but the results properly, and interpret them carefully. And don't over-egg your findings, because that's obvious. And make sure that when somebody gets the end of the article, they know what the article's about. Make sure it's well written. No paper benefits from being too long. And use straightforward English. Remember that we're writing for people who may not have English as their first language, and therefore we don't need to use posh words when simple words do. The most important thing, though, is if you are writing something and you think it's good enough, before you send it to a journal, get someone else to look at it. Get it looked at by somebody who's not an expert in your field. And make sure they understand what your paper's about, because if they don't, then it's not worth sending it in. You should think again, you should rewrite it, and you should look at articles that have been published in journals that are successful. The smart title is really important because we obviously want our articles to be well received by the readership. And remember that most readers do a Google search to find an article. So Google search is based on titles. So unless your title's smart, and I think these articles have got smart titles, they tell you what the article's gonna be about, no one's even gonna download it and take a look at it. So these are just some of the things that are important. And um, I mean, I guess the main thing is keep sending us your work. Don't forget you can talk to the editorial board if you want to. You can get pre-submission advice that we hope that the stuff you send to us, you get a good deal, we'll give you a quick decision. We'll um, process it rapidly and um, hopefully get it published in a good way for you, having interacted through the peer review process that means you're pleased with the end product. So my most important message is keep sending, Make sure the articles are smart, easy to read, and have got a message. And talk to the editorial team if you want any help or input. Fantastic advice, Prof. And thank you very much for that. I think um, that's great advice all round. Um, and, uh, and thank you to, to both of you, um, Professor BT and Dr. Maurice, for doing the FG podcast today. And thank you to all of you that are listening. Hopefully you've enjoyed that conversation. Congratulations to the many winners today, but particularly for the top joint two winners. And thank you, of course, to all of our authors, reviewers, readership, and everybody involved in Frontline Gastroenterology in 2020, which has been, as we all know, a very difficult year. All the papers discussed today will be listed under this podcast. So please click on the links um, below to access the papers. They're all free to access. And um, have a very happy Christmas and New Year 2020 everybody and let's hope that 2021 brings happier times for everybody. Mm -hmm.